over the last uh, over the last few weeks, uh, Adam has been walking us through the the core values uh, that that we embrace as a church. That we believe the Lord is uh, leading us to understand who we are, leading us to uh, direct how we do ministry. Um, and I, I thought maybe it was prudent as we get to the end of of, of his series of messages of grounding our core values in faith so that we know where from the scriptures we draw those things uh, from Ephesians 4 and other passages, that maybe it would be uh, prudent for a minute for us to consider um, how we intentionally become not only uh, hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. Um, I, I, I've been in school a lot, uh, and I like it. I, I love going to school. Um, um, I, I would keep going to school. My wife has told me that I'm done. Um, but, uh, I, I love to sit, um, I love to sit in a lecture hall or a, or a classroom and, um, and listen to people, um, think, listen to people reason and listen to people, uh, uh, teach from their depth, you know, teach from, uh, the, the, the treasury of their study. I, I remember when I was in, uh, when I was an under, undergrad at Sanford many, many, many years ago, um, uh, I, I had, uh, I had a couple of favorite professors, uh, uh, neither one are, uh, are there anymore. That's how long it's been. Uh, one of them was Dennis Sansom, who just retired, uh, uh th- at the end of this, this past year. Um, at that time, uh, Dr. Sansom taught, um, uh, taught philosophy, philosophy and ethics. You guys ever had a class with Dennis Sansom? Anybody? All right. Good. You can't prove me wrong. All right. So, um, for, for my, for my particular major, I was required to take, uh, a couple of classes with Dr. Sansom. And then I took some electives as well. Uh, not because I was good at it. Like I, I knew going in like first day of the semester, uh, th- this is like, I'm going to, I'm going to be pushing to get a B in this class. I mean, it's, uh, he, he was e- exceedingly deep in his wisdom and, and, uh, brilliant and had this wonderful capability to hold together very, uh, intricate, uh, and deep philosophies and, and to evaluate them and analyze them. And uh, at, at, at the ripe old age of 18 and 19, I could not do that. And um, I knew the classes were going to be a struggle, but I also knew that I had to be in there so I could learn to think the way that he thought. I just needed to be exposed to something of that depth. Um, and I, I, so I love that. I love being in those situations where I, you know, you just get to learn and soak up. But if that, if learning and soaking up is all we ever do, and we never take a step toward actually implementing that in our lives or, or having our, having our character transformed and shaped by those things, then we're really robbing it of its effect. And James begins to talk about the, uh, this a bit in his letter. We'll be in the book of James today, first chapter, um, and we'll begin in, uh, in verse 19. So James chapter 1, verse 19. And today uh, we're going we're to be talking about the profile of a Christ follower. The profile of a Christ follower. 
And so this is what James says. Our text will be 19 to the end of the chapter. So I'll read that here and then we'll, we'll go uh, step by step through it. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to, be, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, well, there's your sermon today. I mean, if we just stop there, you got enough to work on this week. I'm sure if you don't, I know that, that I certainly do, but we're going we're gonna to keep going. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the profile of a Christ follower, what does it look like to be uh, a Christ follower? Well, the first thing that, that James addresses for us is to be a Christ follower, we, we first have to prepare to follow Christ by learning to listen. We have to prepare to follow Christ by learning to listen. At this point, we have to, we have to draw a, a distinction between listening and hearing. Right? We have to draw a distinction between listening and hearing. You can hear lots of things that you don't actually listen to. To, to listen to something means that you, you, you bring it in and you ponder it, you consider it, and you wrestle with it until you've evaluated it to the point of what your response to, should be to that thing. Hearing it means it's just bouncing off your eardrum. But listening has an extra step. And so becoming a Christ follower, the first thing that we have to do is to prepare to follow him by learning to listen. And James gives us some lessons here on what that entails in verses 19 and 20. The first thing he says is be quick to hear. Well, before you can meditate on something, you have to hear it first. So I want you to consider just for a minute how different sounds that you hear affect you. You might have, um, you might have uh, particular sounds that are... Uh, annoying to you, that are cringy to you, that, you know, you just kind of, they just kind of put you on edge, man. I mean, you, you can't take it. Like uh, uh, <clears throat> my daughter, Claire, whom I love deeply, cannot stand to hear me chew. Or anybody else. I mean, it's not just me. She wouldn't like to hear you chew either, but I usually sit right next to her at the dinner table, so it's usually my burden to carry. It doesn't help her for me to know this information about her because all that really means is that I chew louder. But she can't take it, man. I mean, it's like, and, and you know, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a condition, right, that you just can't stand to hear anybody, can't stand to hear people chew. Like, I mean, you just can't. I mean, like, it just shuts you down, right? Uh, so, hey, can we turn the TV up, please? Yeah, sure, you know, whatever. He just, can we drown Dad out while he chews on a manhole cover? Yeah, you know. Um, 
So there, there, are, there are sounds that you hear that you, you can't tolerate, but there are also sounds that you hear that you love, right? Uh, so for me, this would be the difference of um, hearing the buzz of a wasp flying past my ear. I do not love that. Um, a thousand years ago, when Pastor, Pastor Adam and I lived together, right before uh, I married my wife, Holly, um, uh, we, we were getting ready. To, uh, we, we had lived in a, in a, in a townhouse with a, a bunch of guys that were going to seminary together, and, and Adam, who was uh, evangelizing the world's teenagers. And, um, and so uh, we had gotten to a point after a time, we were, the Lord was taking all of us different ways. And so I was moving out. And I had a I had a drum set in the in this townhouse this five, this three level townhouse we lived in, and so I was moving my drum set out of the out of the townhouse, um, and I had a had a bass drum that I was carrying, which was roughly an inch and a half smaller than the door frame. So I mean you gotta I mean you gotta you gotta measure that right you know. And so I'm I'm kind of trying to get you know, and so I'm stuck for a second. Uh, trying to get this out the door. And as I, as I'm stuck trying to, you know, cause I don't want to like nick up the bass drum. It looks bad. And so I'm, I'm being real careful trying to get it out. And while I'm standing there next to this big, uh, this uh, big, uh, boxwood or holly bush. I can't remember what it was, but big bush. And so I'm standing there and this red wasp, you know, there are different kinds of wasps and dep- depending on which kind it is, they garner less favor from me. So this is one of those red orange ones, you know those things. Yeah, they're from the devil. So, um, so I, I'm trying to get out the door, and one lands right here. So I don't enjoy hearing the sounds of wasps, especially right next to my ear, because I got trauma. But there are sounds that I love. There are lots of sounds that I love. Um, I love to hear the sound of uh, so, uh, sometimes if I'm if I'm not in trouble. I love to hear the sound of my wife call my name. You know, it's like if we're in, if we're in a crowd of people, and I've got lots of people calling my name, I can pick out my wife's voice. And I can do that because of a learned experience. I have a learned experience with wasps, which I just know I don't like them. One, because it landed on my head. I have a learned, I have a learned experience of my wife's voice that I love and instantly look to draw closer to. So when James tells us here to be quick to hear, hearing is a learned response. So I don't know if any of you guys have ever been frustrated when you've heard people uh, tell you that you just need to listen to the voice of God. I'll assume you haven't because you're all super Christians. Uh, I have at times in my life been very frustrated by that. Oh, you just need to listen to the voice of God. 
Thanks. How am I supposed to do that? It's a learned, conditioned ability. And it primarily comes through reading the scriptures and learning to hear the Spirit as you read the scriptures. Now, I can't give you, I can't give you a formulaic way or a step-by-step instructions on how to do that. But I can tell you it comes from being in the Word because reading the Scriptures is the primary way that the Spirit of God communicates the truth of God to the people of God. So James tells us first we have to be, we have to be quick to hear. It's, a, it's learned through experience. What goes along with that is being slow to speak. I'm not better at this, um, but we have to be slow to speak. Uh, We have to resist the temptation to complete God's sentences for him. Well, surely God would want me to do this, this, and this. Well, did you hear him say that? No, man, it just seems like something that he would want me to do. Wouldn't he want me to be happy all the time? Actually, no. And just because it seems like the best idea to you doesn't mean it's actually the best idea, and therefore God might not have said it. Be slow to speak and wait for the Lord. Our desire is to be You and I have an innate desire to either be right or to be in control most of the time in our life. And if I can work it so that I get to complete God's sentences for him, then I get to be right and I get to be in in control. Like if I say it's like calling dibs, right? Like if I can say it before God says it, then God has to do what I say because I spoke first. That's not the way God works. And so James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Resist the temptation to speak louder than the quiet voice of God. And the third thing he says, be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and also slow to anger. Well, I don't know if you've ever, been, ever had conversations about whether all anger is sin and, it, you know, is my anger sin? Well, certainly I can justify my anger because if it makes me angry, it obviously makes God angry and all those types of things. And is all anger sin? No, all anger is not sin. Is your anger sin? Probably. Is my anger sin? Almost always. Because of the condition of the heart that it comes from. Anger, here's a good way to term it. Anger is righteous or unrighteous based on how well it conforms to the character of God. Anger is righteous or unrighteous based on how well it conforms to the character of God. And so here's a, here's a, here's a litmus test for you. And the next time that you find yourself getting just unbelievably angry at something, you know, name your, name your thing. We all have, we all have different triggers. You're, you know, yours might be traffic. Yours might be, I don't know, whatever. I don't want to incite your rage, but you know what your triggers are. Here's your, here's your litmus test the next time you find yourself getting really angry about something. Does your anger desire vengeance and destruction, or does it, or does it desire repentance and reconciliation? Now, if you, can, if you can consider where your heart is the next time you get really, really angry... See if you can ask yourself that question. Do I desire vengeance and destruction on that person, place, or thing, whatever I'm angry at? Or do I, do I, do I desire uh, repentance and restuck? Uh, hmm. Start over. <clears throat> do I desire um, 
repentance and reconciliation. I'm going to wager most of the time when you and I get really angry, we want wrath. But if our anger is like the anger of God, his goal is restoration, reconciliation, and repentance. Do you want them to be crushed or do you want them to be transformed? I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. And verse 20 then turns around and says this, just, just in case we're laboring on the idea that, our, that you know, your anger or my anger uniquely is, uh, is righteous. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in that one, is there? So, here, so following Christ, we first have to prepare to, li- to listen, right? Be quick to hear, slow to speak. And slow to anger. Still yourself. Still yourself. And wait for the voice of God. And the next thing he tells us is that we have to prepare to receive the word. Verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This phrase here, rid yourself of filthiness and wickedness, is interesting. Filthiness and wickedness are two different words here. The word for filthiness, uh, the reason this backs up to learning to hear from God, the, the, the word for filthiness here, the Greek word, is the same word for earwax. I mean, I mean, yuck, yuck factor is there. I mean, let's just say, okay, earwax is fairly... Ugh. But, I mean, it's not the most... Right? I mean, you know, there, there are other things that are worse. But the word picture here is significant, right? If we're going to be followers of Christ who are quick to, uh, quick to hear and slow to speak, then we have to rid ourselves of earwax. Your spiritual ears get clogged up with gook. So when Jesus says, let those who have ears hear, it's like, well, all right, well, I got to get this out. So that I can be quick to hear and slow to speak. Because when I can't hear, I talk louder. Right? You ever, uh, you ever had a cold that stopped your ears up? Yeah, and then, and then you're, you're just talking through a megaphone to everybody. Right? I mean, like everything you say, your volume's stuck at 10. And you think you're speaking at a perfectly normal volume. Or been uh, talking to someone while you have AirPods in your ears. I mean, you think you're speaking perfectly normal. The people three doors down don't. You're a little loud. You got to get your ears right. You got to rid yourself of filthiness, this earwax that keeps us from hearing the things of God. And also wickedness. This word for wickedness is deliberate viciousness directed toward other people. Deliberate viciousness directed toward other people. It's not being able to hear and it's not being able to act in the manner of God. And so this idea of ridding ourselves of filthiness and wickedness before we, can, uh, before we can follow Christ more effectively. Now, let me pause there and say, uh, J- James is writing to believers, right? James is writing to people who have confessed Christ. James is writing to people who are, who are in the church. So th- there's, there's, a, there's a lesson here for us to learn in our sanctification of... Just because I believe in Christ 
does not mean that I've gotten everything out of my life that is keeping me from being an effective follower of Christ. And so there are other places in the scripture that mention this dynamic. Uh, James mentions it here, but Paul mentions it, mentions it in a couple of different places too. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 says this. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Get rid of the gook. I mean, you gotta, you got to work. Your salvation is completely and totally the work of God. Completely and totally the work of God. Your sanctification, where your salvation works itself in every corner of your life, your sanctification is a partnership between you and the Lord. You and I have a part to play in that. It's living lives of, of obedience as the Spirit leads us. And one of the first things that we have to do is work on getting this sin, getting this good, getting this clog out of our spiritual life so that we can put on the new self. In Colossians uh, chapter 3, Paul says this, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this, this, this model that James gives us, here, gives us here of ridding ourselves of filthiness and wickedness is echoed by Paul and other writers in the New Testament that this is something that has to happen. So let me just speak real bluntly to you. If... If, if, if the last transaction or measure of work that you or I have done in our spiritual life was to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins and then put it on a shelf, then when we wonder why we're not growing spiritually or why we can't hear the voice of God, or why I don't have a desire to read the scriptures. It's because we need to do some serious work about getting filthiness and wickedness out of our lives. And look, this Colossians 3 chapter, I mean, you, got, you get a nice little checklist here. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. If you don't, I mean, start with those. Work to get those out of your life. And as we work to remove sinfulness, we receive what James calls the implanted Word. So the, the word picture here that James is giving us here is that as we work to remove wickedness and sinfulness from our life, that the word of God, which has saved us, begins to take root. Begins to take root. With the idea that once it takes root, that it produces crop or produces harvest. So you guys, you guys, I know, have, have heard the parable of the soils, but I'm, I want us to look at it real quickly here. Matthew chapter 13, the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. 
Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears without earwax, let him hear. And so this is the condition of yours and my heart. It's not just that the, this, this last soil receives the gospel and produces, it's that it has, it, it, it's accepted and has time to take root. It has time to change in the environment that it's in and to change the environment that it's in. So James says, once we get filthiness and rampant wickedness, uh, we receive with meekness the implanted word. The word here for meekness means teachability, means teachability, gentleness, um, uh, an, an openness to receive from the spirit. Um, I, 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 I genuinely believe that there are a few things that are more tragic than a heart that is unteachable. Who is so convinced that they are uh, the apex of correctness and right belief that not even the Spirit of God can teach them anything. So I think a, a helpful posture for us when you and I come to the scriptures, when you and I come to engage the Lord in his word is to say, teach me so that I might know, so that I might know truth and not just my truth, what I've decided what should be right, but real truth, your truth, so that I might know who you are. Okay, so uh, learning to be a Christ follower, prepare to follow Christ by learning to listen, prepare to receive the word, and then do the work of following, verses 22 through 25. And here's what James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing. He will be blessed in his doing. So if our faith doesn't genuinely compel us, James says, if our faith doesn't genuinely thrust us into action in the Spirit on behalf of Christ to the world he came to save... Our hearts haven't truly embraced the gospel. This is tough to say. It's tougher to hear. So let me, let me say it again. If our, if our faith doesn't genuinely compel us to action, if we are hearers only and not doers also, our hearts haven't truly embraced the gospel, and we are deceiving ourselves about the content of our faith. I would like to remind you that's the scripture saying that, not me, so don't shoot the messenger. I generally like, when I'm reading James, I generally like to, uh, to stop around verse 18 and go ahead and then just jump to verse 2. I mean, to chapter 2. But the Spirit doesn't let us do that. 
If we are going to be genuine believers, genuine followers of Christ, that requires action. This word deceiving that James here, or being deceivers of ourselves, uh, comes from a, a very long Greek compound word that I rehearsed for hours and hours last night how to say it without stumbling over it, but I'm having trouble with that already today, so we're just going to let that pass. But let me tell you what it says. The word means contrary to conclusion or reason. And it's in a middle voice, so it's reflecting back on me, so it's contrary to my own reason, contrary to what the Lord has shown me. So if I've deceived myself to the point that I think that all there is to following Christ is showing up, sitting in a room, and hearing somebody talk about the Bible for an hour once a week, and I've convinced myself that that's what faith in Jesus is, I am acting contrary to the conclusions and reasoning that the Lord has put before me. If I can say it another perhaps more simpler way, I'm choosing to reject faithfulness. I'm choosing to reject obedience. We can't be hearers only. If we aren't doers, we are are actually even under greater judgment for hearing and encountering the gospel and doing nothing with it. Rejecting the obedience that the Spirit draws us to as we read the Scriptures. Maybe the easiest way to say this is, we aren't Christ followers if we don't follow Christ. Conduct is a visible measure of true discipleship. I was preparing the sermon uh, uh, this week. I was talking to my brother on the phone who's, uh, well, he does what I do in a different state. And I was talking to him. He said, hey, man, how's your, how's your sermon going? I'm talking to him and stuff. I said, man, my toes are getting stomped all over. He said, really? I said, yeah. And now I've got to go stomp all over everybody else's toes as a result. So, look, yeah, I know th- th- this, this, is, this is difficult. But, I mean, whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, he's done in mine as well. But it doesn't give... It doesn't give us the freedom to say, no, that, that we can just skip over that because it's uncomfortable to hear. Conduct is the most visual measure of true discipleship. And if the faith that you and I have doesn't compel us to serve and minister in the way that Christ served and ministered, then we need to carefully evaluate our faith. So what's this thing with mirrors? James just sort of goes in this thing, well, you're like a guy that looks in a mirror intently and then goes away and doesn't remember what he looks like. What is that about? Well, what James is saying is that if we look into the law, the law that gives freedom, the law of God, and we look at the law and see the holiness of God, and we look at Christ and we see the work of Christ and what he's done to make us holy as his children... If we look at that and we walk away unchanged, it's like we never looked at it at all. Or we may as well never have looked at it at all because we haven't allowed it to change us. 
We have to do the work of following. That's one of the reasons that I love what we do with, uh, with the Give United campaign and with the ministry partners that we bring in here. I mean, you know, it, it, we, we could go out and start our own ministries and, and, and things like this to our community, but there are already ministries in place that are doing it so well. Why would we not partner with them and encourage them in their work, not only with our money, which you definitely should do, It's better than going to Chick-fil-A for the fifth time this week. Make a sandwich. You definitely should give money to these things. But give your time. And go and meet the lives that the gospel is changing. Go and hear the stories. Go and hear the stories that somewhere in the junction, somewhere in their telling, somewhere in the, in, in the rolling out of, of, of the stories of those wonderful people is a, is, is a place in there where there is a but God moment. Not because they need you, because you need them. You get to see the gospel change people. I mean, that's just fun. When I, was a, when, I, when I was a younger version of me and I was just getting started in ministry, I served at a church over in the Atlanta area, and um, um, all of the pastors on staff had our assigned days that we, we went to do hospital visitation. And um, it was in Atlanta, so hospital visitation in Atlanta... I mean, that's a, that's a day, right? I mean, you, you check in at 8, get the list. I'm going to six hospitals, and I'll be back at 6. Because uh, it's traffic. They're all spread out all over the place. All of them have 1,000 floors. Um, you can't, I mean, and then you've got to navigate through the halls and find parking and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it, 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 it's a day. And so, you know, I, I would always be tempted. You're going you're gonna to think I'm terrible after this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, so I, I would walk into the office on Tuesday mornings. It's like, man, I got so much to do. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. I got this stuff rolling out for Wednesday nights coming up next week. I got to get this in place. I need to recruit these leaders. I need to set up times to train. I got to do all this stuff. What, what's the day? Today's Tuesday. Oh, I'm not getting anything done today. I'm not getting anything done today. I'm not even going to be in the office. I go in, grab the list. Where am I going? And just head off to the first hospital. I'm just grousing. I got so much I could do today. If I didn't have to go do this. That's what you want to hear from a pastor's heart, right? I'm driving down the road in interstates in Atlanta, and that puts you in a better mood. So, you know, I'm driving through Atlanta, getting to these hospitals. And I will tell you, to this day, some of the closest friendships that I developed in the seven years that I served that church began in hospital rooms. I had, I had no idea, as a, as a 26, 27-year-old who had all the answers in the world to every question, how much and how desperate I was to have people older than me pouring into my life. And those hospital rooms were incubators for those newborn friendships, mentorships. And... I would walk out of that room going, I, I did nothing. I, I contributed nothing to that person's life. But man, what a blessing I got in return. 
The Spirit doesn't compel us to serve because He needs us. The Spirit compels us to serve and to do because we need it. Fourth thing, and I'm done. What does being a doer look like? Verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. All right, so I want to be a Christ follower. I I, I want that to be something that people would say about me when they see my life. What does that look like? Can you give me a metric of that? Yes, I can, because James does. The first thing is that it, it looks like controlling your tongue. Now, this is not controlling your tongue out of behavior modification. Right? It's, 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 not, it's not controlling your tongue because you have somebody walk along and every time, every time I say, every time I speak uh, crossly to someone or every time that I say what I shouldn't say, every time I use words that I shouldn't say, every time that I do this, that, or the other, I want you to hit me in the back of the legs with a ruler or a cane like in Dumb and Dumber. I just want you to wail on me and, you know, it'll cause so much pain that eventually I'll quit doing it and I'm free. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about being able to bridle your tongue because the heart that gives the tongue its source has itself been changed. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation. So being a, being a doer, being a follower of Christ that, is, that, it, that has let the gospel be put into action in your life means that you control your tongue. Because you have a transformed heart. Second, it means that you show compassion and mercy to the afflicted. You show compassion and mercy to the afflicted. You know, we had a lot of people show up and do this with our serve day a couple of weeks ago. We'll do future serve days, man. And I, I just, I cannot recommend it to you enough. It's three, four hours on a Saturday. That you get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With people that you go to church with. And probably, probably, probably already like. Show compassion and mercy to the afflicted. We must serve and minister as Jesus served and ministered. And then third, being a doer looks like continually Striving to turn away from sin. To keep oneself unstained from the world. This, uh, to keep oneself, uh, uh, that, that idea there is that it's a, it's a continual process. Right? Uh, you, don't, you don't make one decision where the world's not going to have any effect on you anymore and you're, and you're good to go. It's a continual turning away. It's a continual submitting of your life to the re- direction of Christ and rejecting the push-in, rejecting the, the intrusion of the world into that form into that spiritual formation into that character formation. So look, so this is this is my prayer for you today. You know, if if um, if, if we here at Double Oak say that we are going to be about um, the things that Adam has been preaching about for the last three weeks, 
If we're going to be about charity and community, maturity, if we're going to, if we're going to, if we're going to do that, then we've got to do that. You've got to do it. You've heard sermons on it. I've heard sermons on it. I've got to do it. And maybe, it's, maybe it just comes from a simple prayer that just says, Lord, give me eyes to see and ears to hear and opportunities to walk in the way that you would have me go. And that's it. So that's my prayer for you today. When you walk out of here, when you go back and, and step into uh, step into life that waits for you outside this church, that waits for you after Sunday morning. I pray that the lenses that you walk out with will be lenses that look at the world as an opportunity for you to serve and walk in the person in the name of Christ and to minister to those that he would minister to. You might be asking, well, how will I know who that is? You don't. Here's the trick. You don't. So look for opportunities everywhere you go. And wait for him to open the door as you're going. Be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. And let your faith grow because you've walked in obedience. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for, for calling us. We thank you for the gospel that changes us. We thank you for the gospel that saves us. We thank you for the work of Christ and exclusively the work of Christ, not the work of man that cleanses us from sin and makes us yours. But Father, we, we are also mindful that if we, are, if, if we are to grow in you the way that James is challenging us to grow in you, if we, if, if we are to become people that walk in the way that you walk, if we are to become, if we are to become people that take up our cross daily and carry it, then you have given us opportunity and responsibility to decide to be doers. So Holy Spirit, in hearts that I can't reach with my words, in areas that I can't see with my eyes, I pray that you would meet in conversation and love the words of the hearts that I can't hear. Spirit, I pray that you would do the work to change us, to make us instruments of the grace that we are changed by so that we can carry it to the world that we are surrounded by. God, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that you would make us effective conduits of it as we become doers, not hearers of the word that you're speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen. If the Lord's dealing with you and you just want to say, hey, I need to pray about something because I'm not sure what to start with, where I, where I go, what my first step is, and you just want somebody to pray with, I'm, I, I, mean, I would love to do that. I would love to pray with you this morning. If you just need conversation between you and the Lord and you want to do it in your seat or you want to come up to the altar here, you can do that. But don't settle for just being a hearer anymore. 
Let the word implant in your heart and change who you are as the spirit drives its roots deep into you. As we sing, and the Lord moves you, be sensitive to it.